0: It's a new year, and a new legislative session is about to begin in Salem. Lawmakers have a long list of things to get done, like preparing the state for natural disasters, and a second try at a controversial climate bill. Oregon Governor Kate Brown joins us today to talk about what's at the top of her list for the 2020 session. From KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter.
1: Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. In a couple of weeks, Oregon lawmakers will meet again for the 2020 legislative session. This one's a short one. In even numbered years, they last just 35 days. But lawmakers have big plans, including bringing back the cap and trade bill that failed last session. Except this one is cap and trade 2.0, a new version. It's hoped will get more support. And it's one of Governor Brown's top priorities. She joins us to outline her vision for the session and for the remaining years of her final term as governor. Welcome to my guest, Oregon Governor Kate Brown. Welcome back to Straight Talk, it's nice to have you back. Thanks, Laurel, I'm just delighted to be here. Well, it's thank It's a you. pleasure, and I know this session coming up is a, is a short one, but how important is it to you and what you hope to accomplish in your remaining years in office?
0: I think this session is critically important for literally setting the table for Oregon's future. Our children have been very clear. We can't wait to take action on climate change. So I'm cautiously optimistic we can move forward on legislation in February to tackle this issue. We know uh, that we have to be prepared for a wildfire season and we need to get boots on the ground to do the preparation work so that we can do everything we can to decrease the impact of wildfires this summer. And we don't know when the big one's gonna hit, a 9.0 earthquake, and we have to make sure that Oregonians are prepared for that.
1: Well, let's dig into cap and trade. It's expected to really dominate this session. It was a huge issue last session, Mm -hmm. it failed pretty dramatically when Republicans walked out. It got national headlines, and then in the end, even though Democrats had super majorities, they didn't have enough votes to pass it. How determined are you to get this passed this time?
0: Now is the time. We're seeing with the fires uh, in Australia, and of course around the world, and what is happening right here in our very home state, that if we wanna preserve the beauty and bounty of Oregon for future generations, then we must take action to cap carbon emissions in the state and we can do so in a way that enables our economy to continue to thrive and ensure that we uh, allow our rural communities um, to have the tools they need uh, to
1: thrive as well. Let's refresh our viewers on what cap and trade would do. It would work by making it more expensive to pollute. Big greenhouse gas emitters would have to buy credits for each ton of gas they emit, and it creates an overall cap for emissions allowed in the state. Now let's take a look at this new bill that was fashioned. The goal of the new cap and trade bill is to cut greenhouse gas emissions to 45% below 1990 levels by 2035 and cut emissions down to 80% below 1990 levels by 2050. And then it phases in regulations geographically starting in Portland in 2022 and the rest of the bigger cities like Eugene, Bend and Salem by 2025. But here's something you've talked about rural communities. They would be exempted until 19 counties decided to opt in voluntarily. The bill also cuts the number of manufacturing facilities affected by regulations by about half. Governor, there's already some controversy about this. Some climate activists say it's really too diluted to do much good, while some Republicans
0: are saying it's smoke and mirrors. Are you satisfied with this new version? I'm really pleased with the work uh, that has happened uh, with this current version. I think what Oregonians should know is that following the 2019 legislative session, I spent a lot of time on the road, listening to business owners, hearing from stakeholders, listening to folks manufacturing in rural Oregon to hear what their concerns were about the bill. And this version does one very important thing. It holds, virtually holds all rural Oregon to um, not be, uh, that their prices would be the same at the pump. Essentially, they would be exempt uh, from this proposal, and that's really important. Second, rural manufacturers like sawmills and food processors, they also are exempt from this legislation. So it doesn't do everybody, it doesn't do everything, but after hearing from rural Oregonians and addressing their concerns, we have made changes to the proposal and the bill that's in front of us right now.
1: Oregon Republicans don't seem swayed though by this new bill. They say this new version will still hit average citizens hard as higher costs are passed along. The Republican leader in the Senate, Senator Herman Bersugar of Grant's Pass, says he thinks that this will continue to divide the state that he's never seen the state so polarized and he thinks the issue should go to voters. So let's listen to what he told us this week.
0: Well, um, you know, we are treating uh, the pricing of their uh, transportation fuels, their gas, their diesel, uh, differently. It's being phased in over time. Uh, And I think we have taken steps uh, to guarantee that there aren't going to be reductions in jobs in those rural areas. I think because of the polarization of of this particular piece of legislation is we, we can't seem to come to any agreement. We can't even move towards an agreement. That maybe it's just time to let the voters make the decision.
1: So what about that? Should voters make the decision? Is that the best way to go, as the senator said?
0: Look, I think our kids are the most uh, important spokespeople on this issue. They understand that we need to take immediate action to tackle climate change. We have a proposal in front of us. It's still a work in progress, but we have a proposal in front of us that holds virtually all of rural Oregon exempt from increased prices of the gas pump and exempts rural manufacturers like sawmills and food ma- manufacturers. We have addressed the concerns they have raised. It is. T- time for Oregon to move forward and tackle the most important issue in our lifetimes. Future generations will judge us not on the fact of climate change, but what we do to tackle it. We need to take action. We need to do it now. So
1: you want lawmakers to do it, not to go to the voters. Now, Republicans are saying they haven't taken off the table. They might walk out again, Senate Republicans. What if they walk out again?
0: Look, I think that would be really unfortunate. I think it's more important that they show up make sure that their voices are heard, and then if they don't like the bill, vote no. Um, I don't think it's appropriate that they shut down state government simply because they disagree.
1: Won't it be hard for you to get anything else done in a short session if they do walk out?
0: That is my concern. We have a number of issues that we must tackle that are critical to Oregonians. One is, for example, we've got communities, we've got cities across the state that are really struggling with the issue of affordable housing. Homeless people, we need to take action to make sure that there are shelter services available for our children, for their families, and our veterans. If Republicans don't show up, we can't get that done we also can't make the investments that we need in rural communities around the state. It's the thinning, it's the prescriptive burning, it's an expansion of the work that's already happening, the collaborative work in partnership with the federal government through a shared stewardship agreement to allow us to ensure that we have healthier forests that are more resilient in the face of wildfire And frankly, it will enable us to put rural Oregonians to work and provide product for the mills. We need to take action. We need to move forward So you want the
1: Republicans to stay. What if you can't get this carbon uh, bill through? Oh, well, you you talked about executive action last time. or Is that still on the table?
0: Um, my first choice, of course, is for the legislature to work collaboratively to get this done. But if they can't, I will take the appropriate level of action. You mentioned
1: the wildfires. Let's take a look at some of the, the video we've been seeing from mm. Australia that mm. has been described as apocalyptic with burned landscapes. 27 people have died, thousands of structures destroyed, millions of acres torched, a landmass the equivalent of South Carolina, up to a Billion animals have died. Uh, when you look at this, what are your thoughts, especially as it relates to the problems that we see with Oregon wildfires?
0: Well, I, I think we have, we are at the heart of a perfect storm right here in Oregon. Number one, you have decades of federal land mismanagement. And number two, uh, you have changing climate. And that is leading to the devastating wildfires that we are seeing in Oregon. Now, last year we got a buy. Things were relatively quiet, but we are not likely to get another buy this time around. And so um, I've been working with Republicans and Democrats and uh, looking at the recommendations of the Wildfire Council. It's a council I created to really tackle wildfire and to really take at what new tools that we need uh, to tackle wildfires. We're basically using last century's firefighting tools uh, in this century and it's not okay. So we need to make some key investments, prepare for 2020 and lay the groundwork for 2021.
1: It could cost billions of dollars from what I've read. Where would that money come from?
0: So the report is available. It's really good reading. Uh, a lot of volunteers spent time and energy. Um, they think over a period of 20, dec- 20 years, two decades, it will take roughly $4 billion. But if we start to make investments now, uh, then we can make a difference. and that's why I'm asking the legislature for a significant investment of $200 million to start the prevention work uh, to make sure we're prepared uh, for fire season and to begin uh, to uh, do the work to ensure that our forests are healthy around the state. Another place you want to make investment
1: and you refer to the big one uh, an earthquake along the Cascadia subduction zone it could be a 9.0 devastating with a accompanying tsunami. A couple of years ago you announced a plan to make sure 250,000 vulnerable homes in Oregon have two weeks of supplies. By 2021, you wanna activate a statewide earthquake early warning system by 2023, make more investments in seismic upgrades for schools and emergency services, and ensure the safety of our dams. What do you want the legislature to do in this session about that?
0: Well, for $12.7 million, they can do all of those things uh, that you just said. But the first and most important thing is the shake alert. The goal of ShakeAlert is to give Oregonians notice, and in an earthquake, every second will save lives. Uh, We are the only state on the West Coast without an active ShakeAlert system, and I believe that Oregonians deserve notice and deserve this investment. Secondly, you talked about dams. Um, Our dams are in trouble around the state. What I think it's important that we do is lay the foundation uh, for work for the 21 legislative session. And this means taking a look at what dams are out there, What are the top priorities for uh, seismic resilience? uh, And where do we get the resources from? So we need to begin this work now so we can be fully prepared for the 21 legislative session. And then of course, making sure that Oregonians are prepared. Two weeks, lots of water, one gallon per person and a lot of your favorite foods like peanut butter and maybe your not so favorite ones like spam. Uh, Spam, Uh, (laughs) all kinds of ways you can prepare spam.
1: If there is a big earthquake, one thing that I think people agree on, that I-5 bridge, a 100-year-old bridge, is going to crumble. And you last fall joined Washington Governor Inslee to announce a bi-state effort to restart a plan to rebuild the I-5 bridge over the Columbia River that connects the states. The last effort, known as the Columbia River Crossing, was scrapped in 2013 when Washington lawmakers failed to come up with the Mm -hmm. money that they needed. So, Governor, what's different this time around?
0: I think that's a really important question, but the first thing is, Oregonians now are much more aware of the impact uh, that an earthquake will have and how critically and important it is that we invest in ensuring that the I-5 bridge doesn't fall down in an earthquake. So that's number one. Number two, the economy has been growing like crazy, frankly, and particularly on the West Coast. And it's really important that we move people and products up and down I-5 And guess what, that I-5 bridge is literally a stoplight. Uh, And so with the growth in our economy, it's really important that we fix that. But the third piece is, is that Governor Inslee is absolutely committed. Washington has put significant resources in, and the political dynamics are a little different there. New elected leadership, particularly in the state Senate, We have reached an agreement uh, that we are both committed uh, to ensuring that there will be high capacity public transit on this new project.
1: And that's something that Clark County residents have been opposed to, light rail. Also, there's controversy
0: about possible tolls. Mm -hmm. Could that be a stumbling block? Uh, I'm confident that we have an agreement that uh, this new project will include high capacity public transit. I'm confident that uh, Vancouver understands the importance of moving people and products. Will there be tolls? I uh, don't know at this point in time, but that's certainly something under study. And what's the next step? Uh, we're going to continue to work together, uh, make sure that we're taking a look at what was done in the past in terms of the studies and how we can best move forward. Washington's got more skin in the game, that's a good thing.
1: I know another priority for you has been and continues to be affordable housing. Mm -hmm. How do we get more affordable housing in the state? And the whole issue got the attention of the Wall Street Journal and they wrote an article earlier this month. And I wanna read you a quote from that. Oregon's population grew by nearly 400,000 between 2010 and 2019. But the state added a mere 37 housing permits for every 100 new residents. That's according to a report released last week by the Oregon Office of Economic Analysis. And economist Josh Lehner found that while much of the attention is paid to rising housing costs, we know they're the symptom and not the cause of the disease. The chief underlying cause is the ongoing low levels of new construction this decade. He adds that on a population growth adjusted basis, Oregon built fewer new housing units this decade than we have since at least World War II. And the article pointed to Oregon policy saying they created the problem. It says land use policies in our state have been dysfunctional for decades. And it pointed to Portland's urban growth boundary, saying it hasn't adjusted sufficiently for our population growth and that land use zoning is more restrictive here than three quarters of other metro areas. Do you think the urban growth boundary needs to be adjusted in Portland to help out with this situation?
0: Look, um, I think what Oregonians need to know is that uh, we have a very strong urban growth planning system here in this state. And we also have very much a housing crisis. But if you look at all the other states in the West, they also have housing crises and they have different levels. Some have a lack of any type of urban growth planning system, Arizona. Some have a hodgepodge of systems. my heart absolutely goes out to our children, our families, our veterans that are on the streets. Every Oregonian deserves a warm, safe, dry place that's affordable and accessible to call home. Since I've become governor, we have been focused on this issue. We have invested over a half a billion dollars in affordable housing and homelessness prevention, but it still feels like it's the tip of the iceberg. I think it's so important that we continue this work, um, both to build affordable housing, and we're working with communities across the entire state, and to also build what we're calling market rate workforce housing. Between 2000 and 2015, we underbuilt. That's why we're feeling the pinch. But we also have a lot of families that are really struggling with houselessness. And we have to make sure that we have both shelter space available, and affordable units and I'm doing everything we can and I know Margaret Salazar at Oregon Housing and Community Services is doing everything she can to get more affordable units in the pipeline. Is
1: it it just money or could we use more, uh, some changes in land use policies? So
0: I think there are a couple of pieces that we'll be having uh, a a discussion about in February. One is uh, siting uh, and siting of affordable units. You might recall a project out on uh, uh, Foster Road Uh, that the community was very much opposed to. I got to visit that project in December and meet with the residents. It is now very much a part of the community and the community has embraced those residents. Uh, Close to 50% of the people living there uh, are working and working full time. So we have a lot of neighbors in need. We have to continue to build affordable units and provide assistance to those families that are struggling.
1: I wanna follow up with you on a big topic from the last legislative session that you and I talked about extensively Mm -hmm. last time you were on the show. Sexual harassment allegations had surfaced then and a report from the Bureau of Labor and Industries concluded Legislative leadership had allowed a sexually hostile work environment. And I asked you if you would hold legislative leaders
0: accountable. And here's what you said then. Here's what I would say. Culture change is very difficult and it takes all of us. It takes training and education. I made sure that all of my employees went through that training by the end of the year. We're making sure that all of our state agencies have consistent policies in place. We want to make sure that people who feel uncomfortable, that feel that they are being harassed at work, um, have a safe place to report, and that appropriate action is being taken. But are you personally disappointed in, in your leadership? I, I'm certainly concerned about the report. I haven't had a time to fully evaluate the report. It came out yesterday. Um, certainly, I know Speaker Kotech, the Senate president, they're working hard to ensure that everyone in the state capitol feels safe.
1: Governor, are you confident that now everybody at
0: the state capitol is safe? Look, there's always room for improvement, but I know from both my conversations with Speaker Kotek and of course the Senate president, that they are working hard to implement the recommendations of the Oregon Law Commission report and make sure that um, staff, uh, that lobbyists and uh, others that work in the building feel comfortable reporting these types of incidences. And I'll just have to say, I've worked really hard as governor to make sure that the 40,000 state employees under my purview um, have ways to report uh, an incident of sexual harassment or discrimination. And the most important thing is that these employees have the ability to do so in a way that feels safe and they can um, be assured that that information is confidential.
1: Let's talk about the, the political atmosphere we're seeing. We hear mm-hmm. a lot about the lack of civility and polarization in DC, but a lot of people have always felt Oregon is different. Mm-hmm. But now many people are upset about what they see as a decline in civility and bipartisan cooperation in Oregon. And we, we hear about the threats of a walkout again, and that the state is, is going in the wrong direction. You've been in Oregon politics a long time. Mm-hmm. What do you see? What do you think is happening and what can be done?
0: Well, I think it's unfortunate that Washington DC politics are coming to Oregon. And I think um, the walkout is an indication of that. What I think is most uh, key is that we continue our efforts to work collaboratively around the aisle and across the state. I sat down this week with uh, Democrats and Republicans to take a look at the Wildfire Council recommendations and see where we could reach an agreement and where we could move forward on legislation and funding in February. I think it's really key that we continue the work around seismic resilience and housing and other issues that are really important to Oregonians in a way that's bipartisan. We're working, of course, um, to make sure that folks on both sides of the aisle, that their voices can be heard. And I I think it's really important that Republicans and Democrats show up in February and put aside politics and do what's right for Oregonians.
1: Let's look ahead, we just have about two minutes left to the 2020 election. Mm. You're not running, you don't have to run for (laughs) office, but are you working with anybody on races or ballot measures, that sort of
0: thing? Well, I'm certainly watching the, um, the debates on TV for the presidential primary and look forward to supporting the Democratic candidate what I think it's key for Oregonians to do, and that is to get engaged. As a former legislator, former Secretary of State, I think it's so important that Oregonians use their voices, whether it's talking to your elected officials, emailing, uh, making phone calls, but most importantly, uh, to get out and vote. And I am, as you know, living proof that your vote is your voice and that every single voice matters. I won my first race by a mere seven votes. I'm living proof that everyone's voice counts. About a minute left, but you messaged to me that you are working on some ballot measures. What are Mm -hmm. you working on? So there are a couple of uh, issues that came out of the legislature that I'm very committed to passing. One is increasing the cigarette tax. We've seen a huge increase uh, in youth smoking and vaping. Uh, We know that by increasing the cigarette tax that will help uh, discourage young people from starting to smoke or vape. And the money goes to fund the Oregon health plan to ensure that vulnerable families and children have access to health care. And then secondly, an issue I've been working on for years and that is bringing reasonable campaign finance limits to Oregon. No one should be able to buy a megaphone so loud that it drowns out all the other voices. It's time for reasonable campaign finance reform. It'll be on the ballot in November. I encourage a yes vote. It's going to be a busy
1: November, isn't it? Crazy busy. Ballot, busy ballot. Yes. Governor, thank you for joining us here on Straight Talk. Always a pleasure. Hope you come back and let us know how the, the session went. Thanks. All right, good luck with this next legislative session. And thank you for watching and listening. Don't forget to download our new podcast. There's that QR code again. Or download our podcast wherever you normally get your podcasts. Just search for KGW Straight Talk. We'll see you next week for Straight Talk. Have a great week.